Yeehaw! Hello and howdy. Thank you for joining us on the Canon Stats Podcast, the world's best Arsenal analytics podcast. We have an exciting show lined up for you. We are going to be talking about deadline day of this January transfer window. I am Scott Willis, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Adam Bogey. How are you doing, Adam? I am good. I am good. It's another uh, another deadline day and um, calm as ever. Yeah, you know what? We're enjoying life. I am too. Uh, you know, the, our new our music is growing on me. I can you know can really kind of tap my feet to it. Um, have you come down from the the takes? Everybody's got the takes. They're they're being fired out, hot, yeah, and heavy. Are, are you recovering? I feel like I feel like Michael Corleone in The Godfather Part Two. Every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in. Somebody pulls me back in. It's it's this it's this darn for you page that Twitter has added. <laughs> I know, right? Like people, I'm, I'm regurgitating takes that happened like four hours ago, and you know, being re brought back into it. So funny story. So I, yesterday, I, I had to go get a, a car repair. Uh, repair. I had to go get a dent that's being taken care of. So I'm I'm at the rental car place, and there's a long line, and people are frustrated because it's moving slowly. So between like being around very agitated people waiting for a rental car and scrolling Twitter. Like I felt like I was like swimming in a pool of toxicity and man, I don't know. I, I felt like I just wanted to, to love it. Cause I just, I, I didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't really develop a strong take yesterday about um, the main guy that we'll be talking about in a minute, but I just, I just couldn't bring myself to bring anything strong. Like, I don't know, like it's kind of sensible and it makes sense. Like, I don't know. There's nothing, yeah. nothing like, I'm not like, Oh, this is the greatest move ever! Or like, this is the worst move ever. I, I, I couldn't get anything tepid going. Right, and I think I think um, as we as we talk about it, we'll get into this. But a lot a lot of the a lot of the more disgruntled side of things is definitely um, definitely seems to be framing the more rational analysis of the deal in such a way um, where you know if. It kind of like if if you're not with us, you're against us, kind of thing. Uh, you know, if if you're not angry, just really up in arms about this specific player, um, you must think that it was a great move. And I don't think that you know, I there are some people who have said it's a great move uh, who really rate Jorginho um, as a player, and you know, could see him paying off. Uh, but I think that a lot of the more online type of Arsenal fans. Uh, who are saying, you know, that they can see it, they can get behind it. It's it's less that, and we can get into that. <laughs> yeah, more. so let's, um, I mean, this is, we're talking obviously about uh, Arsenal's new central midfielder, Jorginho, coming from Chelsea. Fee looks like it's 10 million plus 2 million potentially added on. Um, I think I saw it was like 1 million for Champions League, 1 million for title. So, you know, at yes. least 11 million, potentially 12. Uh, till 2024, so an 18 month contract with an option for another year. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess let's just kind of talk there, like price, like how you feel about the price. I mean the the price. Um, you know, the people. I I guess the the negative take on it is that he has six months left on his deal. But um, I would say for a player coming from another Premier League club, particularly a player who has been you know, kind of like in that team of the season running, obviously he's late prime, if not slightly past prime, but um, to be getting that player for 10 million on us on six months left, um, that, that is a good number. Uh, 
I, you know, when, when that report, I think it, I don't remember if it was Ornstein or Fabrizio who had it first, but um, when, when it kind of became a story, you know, the, I think a lot of the people who could get on board with it, the bigger concern was, was the price and it was the length. Yeah. Cause was it, um, when it first reported yesterday, was it like Chelsea were asking for 20 or 25? 15, 15 to 20, okay. I think was yeah. the first, the first uh, range that Romano threw out. And, you know, I mean, going from 15 to 10 doesn't seem like a big difference, but it is a, it is a third um, of 15. So, you know, it's percentage wise. It is a big difference. half off of 20. It is half off of 20. So, and, and you know, for like I said, this and they say Edu can't negotiate. <laughs> hey, he just he convinced Fulham to pay all of Cedric's wages. He held out on that one. So great job, Edu. Um, he, yeah, no, I think I mean ten million. I said this in relation to to Flo Balogun and a potential sale of him. Arsenal are really not um, the club who are going to be you know significantly set back by ten million pounds. Yeah. It's not a significant amount of money. Um, it is when it's part of a transfer fee that they're paying. But when you're talking about long-term planning, you know, amortizing that fee over 18 months, I mean, it's not, it's really not going to, you know, hack into the budget too much. Yeah. So you think about it's a, I'm trying to do math in my head right now. So like a, you know, what, I don't know. It's like 5 million now, you know, 5 million next year, something in that range. It's probably a little bit more next year, seven, and three now, something like that, given that, right. you know, it's 18 months. So I, I, I don't think if 7 million is going to put us over any sort of FFP range, we were already in big trouble. So, and I don't think this is going to stop anything in the future happening um, for the quality of player getting it. Like this is eminently reasonable. My main concern mm-hmm. was always like the length of contract that would come along with it. And this is like Same. right in the, perfectly acceptable range like if we were like talking like this is like something that'd be absolutely perfect you know you might have said oh it's only like a six-month deal or a six-month with a an option for one year like yeah but like he's in you know i i there's no way a player is going to take that like so this is like right in that sweet spot of where he probably won mm-hmm. three years arsenal wanted one year they met in the middle kind of worked out for everybody and he was he was you know for those who don't follow chelsea transfer stuff very closely he was already looking to leave mm-hmm. and the the buzz about him was that he wanted to go back to Italy. Uh, he came to Chelsea from Napoli. Um, and so when, when we were getting linked to him, I, I was concerned that it was going to end up being, you know, maybe like a four year deal, something like that, because he would be either pushing back or canceling that plan to go back to, you know, his home. I mean, home country, country he represents internationally at least. Um, so it, it's it was a pleasant surprise when that came out and it was eighteen months. I think I think that Arsenal negotiated that deal well. Yeah, I, I think really it, I think it really is. Like it's you know it seems like the fee, the contract, everything about this feels reasonable. And I think that's kind of like my main takeaway from this is like I, I think I wrote exactly that this is a a prudent signing, and I think that's exactly what it is. So I mean, I guess let's get your mm-hmm. take on Jorginho as a player. What do you, what do you think of the player that Arsenal are getting here? Yeah, so Jorginho as a player, I mean, obviously, maybe we'll do a little bit of like a like a compliment sandwich here. Um, I think that looking at him, you really would feel very very comfortable um, adding his his technical skill set to 
uh, the attack in the midfield. He's he's going to recycle possession really well. He's going to pass progressively really well. Um, passing from the middle third into the final third, one of the best out there for that. Um, you know, ton of experience, a ton of a ton of winning. Uh, so I think you know he's not going to shrink in the moment. Basically, what you what you do worry about, I mean, besides his age, just in general, is that even even you know more in his heyday, so to speak. Um, you know, he is he is not an incredibly well built built athlete. He's not. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's listed not, at five ten, one fifty, and that might be a little generous. Yeah, and he's you know he's not the most fleet of foot. He's not going to win a lot of foot races. Um, with with the exception of of the the clip where Partey runs down um, Anthony, you know, I think there's a solid argument that um, Arsenal six doesn't really have to do that very much anyway. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, he's he's an intelligent player. Mark Cucurella was literally trying to say today he's the smartest guy on the team um, in that viral goal video. Uh, he you know he positions himself well. He is he is defends aggressively, and that is going to lead to some guys getting past him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's, he's about, about 50th kind of middle of the road this season in terms of tackle success among midfielders, but he's like 98th, 99th in terms of how many tackles he attempts. Exactly. So, yeah. I, I looked that up and yeah, so it's a uh, 95th percentile for the number of dribblers engaged with and 49th percent for how often he wins those duels. Um, you know, you look so, at it as yeah. overall like tackle percentage. So like that, you know, includes just, you know, trying to dispossess a part, not necessarily a person who's going against him. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. compared to, you know, how many times he's fouling, like he actually does do well there as well. I have him about 90th percentile for that. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. So it's like, this guy is an active defender. That doesn't necessarily mean a good defender, but he is an active defender. No. But a defender, a defender who attempts uh, to defend actively and converts at about a middle of the road um, rate does grade out to, in my book, at least the way that I look at it, uh, more of an above average. I, I, um, I would generally agree with that. Statistically, yeah. um, you look at like a Mohamed El Neni, uh, he will be very high on the uh, list of players who do not get dribbled past. But Mohamed El Neni does not attempt to tackle a lot of ball carriers, so he will not have a lot of tackle attempts. Very similarly to his pass percentage, which will be you know up and above ninety percent a lot of the time. Well, he's, you know, he's passing it to to Ben White on his right and Zinchenko on his left or back to one of the center backs, probably most of the time, uh, not attempting a lot of line breaking passes. Jorginho has good numbers there um, and he and he's passing it more forward, too. So I think, you know, you look at the skill set, it is it is something that is good to have. Um, the athletic concerns will obviously remain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, um, I mean, that is the one thing, right? If you watch any video on him, like that is the thing that really kind of jumps out at you. Like he is like the polar opposite of like what a Mudrick would be like in watching video. Yeah. Like you, you watched him and you're like, holy crap, this guy is an athlete. Uh, Jorginho is very much in the classic uh, Sergio Busquets uh, mold of mm-hmm. DM. Like, but I think one of yeah. the things too, that, that, and this also kind of is interesting to me is like, I think this guy, like, and I don't think you get to this level with his athletic profile without understanding the game at like an absolutely exquisite level. He knows yeah. where to be at all times. He knows mm-hmm. kind of like understands space and being able to do that. I think that's why he's such a good passer and being able to do those kinds of things. And I think that's also why he's able to engage in so many of these duels 
because it's like he's always in the right spot. Like he's not going to have the yeah. the Samby moments where he looks totally just like I have no idea where I'm supposed to stand and do that. Like yeah, he, he's right. going to get targeted because people think that they can beat him physically, and you know they probably will. But he's always going to be in the right spot, and he's at least going to be an impediment for somebody trying to get through. So I mean, as a Bay Area enthusiast, um, for you, Scott, one comparable for me from a different sport. I like to do these sometimes. That one's called Gabby Jesus, the Allen Iverson of uh, forwards. But I, um, to, to succeed at, at for either because of stature or limited athleticism, you have to have the mentality and the intelligence of, a, of someone like a Draymond Green, mm-hmm. um, who is, who is not tall and cannot jump high, but has still carved out, uh, a niche as one of the best defensive uh, big men in the NBA because he is that smart and he is that good at playing his role. And um, yeah, you talk you about know, a guy that like, understands but... like space and tactics and knowing where he needs to be. Yeah, like that is yeah how you describe Draymond. And you know, Dr- I mean, Jorginho doesn't have the same defensive. Uh, you know no. capabilities but i do think he has a similar kind of understanding of the game and where he needs to be and he's absolutely um much like draymond green as well he's absolutely the type of player who i think he, you really like to have him on your side but you absolutely hate his guts um when he's not on your side and i think that has really colored a lot of the reaction <laughs> uh to yeah, the because, move I mean, look, because... oh, we spent five years hating him yeah, and I mean, I, I as far as like the the guys from Chelsea go, I mean, he's got to be really, really high on the hate power rankings over the last handful of seasons. I mean, personally, I I would also put Espilicueta. Oh yeah, so high um, on the list. I would. I absolutely hate his guts. Um, but Jorginho, yeah, I mean, the penalties, everything. It's just frustrating to play against um, and easy to hate. Yep, and I think so it's going to take a while. It could, right? It could take some time to warm up to him. But I mean, I think, I mean, well, I mean, part of it too is that when you, I think the the type of player that Arsenal are buying here is an insurance policy. This is not a guy that we, not even to get like Trissard type minutes. I think at, if he's no, playing, it's going to be you know he comes in for the last fifteen twenty minutes of a game that Arsenal have a lead in or he's playing in the Europa league. Like he is an insurance policy and like, we hope to not see him play meaningful premier league minutes. No, I mean, I, in order hypothetically say we make it to the semifinals or the, you know, the quarters, uh, uh, we'll be in the quarters, but you know what I mean? Like this way we'll be in the round of 16. And if we make a deep run in the Europa league, that's what I should have said from the get go. (laughs) Um, and we're, we're drawn up against like a Barcelona or Manchester United. Um, you might see Arteta want to play that strong on Thursday and say, hypothetically, you know, this happens to coincide with a game against the lower table side, um, on Sunday. You know, I could see Jorginho starting in that kind of a game too. Yeah, I, I could see that too. Or again, like again, like that's a prioritizing thing, right? To be able to do that, and I think that's one of the things because given the options here, and um, like as soon, I think this was kind of a poorly kept secret, but as soon as Elneny seemed like he was going to have the season-ending injury, you you looked at the depth, and it was Sambi and then really kind of rejiggering the whole team to try to figure out who's going to cover for that. And I I don't think if that's a one game thing or it's like really like it's a break glass of an emergency, 
yeah, you do it. But we had yeah. this thing where we could do it and we didn't have to like, you know, shuffle, you know, move Zinchenko over or bring back Xhaka from his eight or move Ben White into DM or, you know, all the different kind of crazy ideas that Arsenal fans would certainly have thought up to try to galaxy yeah. brain covering for that. And there were a lot. Yeah. Um, there were definitely a lot. I, you know, I had people suggesting playing Zinchenko in the same role, but positionally as the number six, um, to which I say what happens when we lose the ball. Um, <laughs> so just, yeah, there's, there's, I mean, I almost feel like we should have a pool or something like a prize pool where you can claim Zinchenko or Tomiyasu or, or Ben White or um, Saliba and whoever actually plays like a real life game, a real non-exhibition game as a number six first, like boom, you get payout. <laughs> That'd be funny. Yeah. Good, good but, ideas there. <laughs> the, uh, you know, maybe maybe this is a good time to talk about takes a little bit. I'm one of the one of the more um, laughable. You know, I say laughable. I don't really feel like I'm trying to be rude when I say this, but one of the one of the little more out there takes I think that I was seeing um, was not necessarily that adding no one would be better than Jorginho, but that he isn't even an, an improvement on. Sambi Lakanga or Moel Neni. Um, and to me, I just think that is very colored by like your hatred of him. Yeah. And you know what? I think that El Neni has a lot of backup quarterback uh, yeah, like revisionism going on, right? Like how quickly his stock has risen, like in the last six months has been like enormous. Like that guy's played 300 minutes all year, including the Europa mm-hmm. league and the FA cup. Like, yeah, it's been fine, but there isn't really a moment on there where I'm like, oh, yeah, I really trust and I hope that we can see some El Neni in pivotal moments like time. Like no. nobody thinks you that. Would never, you would never bring him into um, an important game off the bench because party was tired or uh, or even necessarily to hold you know, like say a two goal lead for 20 minutes. He gets, when he gets into the premier league, it's usually, I mean, he's, he's the victory cigar, right? He comes in 89th minute, uh, 90 plus two, he comes in. So I think Jorginho can definitely open up that. And to anyone who, who really like legitimately thinks Sambi or El Neni, um, are better. I would just challenge you to think, think about it from this perspective. Would Chelsea ever attempt to acquire either of those players in order to replace Jorginho, which to me feels like a very clear no. Yeah. And and I can see like, you know, looking at Jorginho over the last few years, like he's obviously taking a step back from where he was because you think back to when he first came to Chelsea, like the guy was an absolute elite passer. And now he's maybe in that very good passer range. Um, Mm -hmm. You could see he's lost maybe a little bit of a step. Um, is carrying is down a bit overall. The creating numbers are down. I don't know if that's necessarily because he's gotten worse or Chelsea has gotten worse. I, I think there's, there's a little bit of chicken and egg going on with that one. Um, also because it's like you kind of look at their team and like, honestly, I'm kind of surprised Chelsea even sold him to us. Cause you look at the midfield that they have. And yes, I know that they're in the process of trying to bring in um, Enzo Fernandez, but like when it was, Jorginho was the only guy kind of holding that thing together. It's like Ruben yeah. Loftus-Cheek and Connor Gallagher. And like, 
Oof, those guys are not good. Um, Kovacic has been Conte's injured. Been Conte's out been out. Like they have yeah. been really hurt. And Jorginho is kind of like, I don't know, like amazingly kept that thing kind of sort of functional. All right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's been without Reese James and like those kinds of things too, that have helped him out. So I, I was a little bit surprised well, that, was... that Chelsea was even willing to do this. Yes, I understand. Like this helps, like with a little bit of their FFP. You know, they get to to book a nice little, um, you know, transfer profit kind of come in here at the very end. But I don't know. They're they're kind of in this weird win now, but also rebuild. Like to be able to get rid of Jorginho. Right. I don't know what a uh, what a lot of other or what a lot of. Uh, pundits and other sports would call like more of like a reload rather than a rebuild. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, they, they were getting pretty fairly trolled, uh, for putting, pushing the boat out so far for so much, so much, uh, expensive attacking talent. Um, you know, as, as talented as those players are, uh, having a complete mess in the midfield, um, and not doing much about it until, you know, the end of the window. I mean, I know they tried for Enzo earlier and then they left. And then there was a rumor that they were going to go for Caicedo. And then they, and then they left that and came back to Enzo. So if they don't close that deal, um, yeah, that, that could be a really big problem for them. Having gotten rid of Jorginho, because what are you going to do? You're going to play Carney, Chukwu Mecca in the midfield. Are you going to play your new Brazilian boy, Andre Santos, who's like 18, uh, it's a great question. Yeah. Well, Mark Hutchinson just got loaned out. Not that he's a central midfielder, but he'll be going to West Brom in case you're wondering. I was wondering, I'm always, you know, keeping up on the, the latest news here. Um, got the, the Twitter refreshing as we're talking here. So I think that's a, a good place to kind of pivot a little bit to maybe talking mm-hmm. about Casado. I know you just yeah. wrote about that. So <sighs> That that move didn't materialize. Do you blame Arsenal at all? What what are your final thoughts? I guess on on Casado saga. Yeah, I mean it, it was a saga, and you know I said from the moment that the first report came out that Arsenal were going to try for him, my reaction was you know cool because you know I I like mm-hmm. Arsenal going for these big players, these important players, but. Um, you know, you better have a plan B because Brighton will be a nightmare to deal with. There was absolutely no reason uh, for Brighton to sell him at the beginning of January. They're trying to make their first ever European competition. They have a good enough side to do it. Uh, you know, Trossard was easy for them to get rid of because they had Matoma. Yeah, they had already replaced they, him. They do not have another midfielder um, that can replicate Caicedo's role, at least not right now they'd have to replace him so you're coming in four days before the end of the window and trying to before the window shuts and trying to get him so i was always a little bit like you know this is probably not going to happen in january um i don't really blame them for coming back with multiple bids even though it was out there through the you know the brighton hove albion talking heads uh that he wasn't for sale because sometimes that's just you know big talk but um yeah it's just i completely understand what they're doing they've done this with all these other positions too they do not want to waste their time on a B B minus type of acquisition because they want these guys to be there for not, you know, eight, nine years. They, they want to be uh club cornerstones. Mm-hmm. And so going for Caicedo was that um, I, in my opinion, something that they might've or might've, or probably still will try to do this summer just being pulled forward because there's absolutely no way that West Ham 
whatever sell Declan Rice when they're 17th on yeah, the table. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, I don't think there was a... Everybody, everybody got to talk about there, there is always a price. And yes, there obviously is always a price. But I think for... Declan Rice, like that price would have been like double what you would have like regionally expected. You probably would have had to come in with like literally like money that would have insured even if West Ham goes down, like they are basically like getting another parachute payment from the transfer. I think that would have been like the level it would have had to have been. I think there's probably their Premier League revenue share, basically. (laughs) Yeah, for a season. Like, so yeah, you're talking 250 million pounds or something like that. Like it would have been, Mm -hmm. you know, a huge amount of money to get, I think, a a Declan Rice. And there's just no way that that's realistic. I I have no idea what the actual price would have been for Casado. I think, you know, I, I said that I would have gone up to like, maybe 80 85 million pounds for it like that's yeah you know an extra 20 25 on top of like what you know, i'd quote unquote say is a fair deal and it sounds like arsenal got at least kind of close to that i think you know the last one that they had kind of talked about was basically 70 million and uh, who knows we were we, maybe we were not even close because i think what kind of 90 million was kind of what you know brighton had kind of hinted yeah might be Depending what it on who you believed yeah, but again, like even 90 million, they may have still said no. Yeah, and there, there's this whole thing kind of out there right now about going for players who are available. Um, you know, why don't you add the 10 million on, you know, blah, blah, blah. But um, I've kind of been saying this all month going back to Mikhailo Mudrik because, again, uh, being available and being available for only a an extortionate fee um, at least when you're Arsenal, when your owner is not Todd Bowley, to me, those two things are not the same. Yeah. And we need to, we need to not think of them as the same because uh, this is a clear pattern. Like we should get used to this. Arsenal went for Rafinha. The money got too high. They backed out. Rafinha wasn't going to come anyway. Lissandro, the money got too high. They backed out. This is not going to happen or this is going to keep happening. Um, yeah, and I think this is something that people are beating Edu over. Like, but I think this is to a certain extent smart. Like, it's not getting tunnel vision on a player. It's identifying a position and a role, and then fitting players that make sense into it. And you know, having yeah. things that you can pivot to to be able to you know, maybe you know, be able to make up your mind. You know, maybe have some. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there were certainly some players that you you kind of think about. You know, Mudrik or. Uh, Casado, those are summer moves that we're trying to move forward, right? Like those are, you know, really kind of cool, you know, being able to do that. And then when that doesn't work out, you know, having a pivot to a cheaper option that, you know, while it may not be a, you know, first choice or being able to be a long-term solution, it's not something that would stop you from being able to get that long-term solution. And I think both of those really make a lot of sense inside of that framework. They really do. And um, yeah, I mean, to all the people who say, you know, being forced into Jorginho, being forced into Trossard shows some kind of, uh, I don't even know, some kind of weakness or inability to get big deals done. I mean, no, it's it's not, it has nothing to do with the, the in this, I guess they happen to be men, the men running the show here it has to do with the club and the resources and the resources that ownership is willing to put forward. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's funny to me that this is surprising uh, for people. This is a club that for a very long time has had this sort of approach to transfers. So 
you know, we should be used to it. And I think there's a certain like game theory kind of approach that kind of goes into this, you know, way that Arsenal have gone about this too. The transfer market is a repeated game where other clubs see how you act and can make that's going to, you know, color how you deal with people going in the future. So if Arsenal mm-hmm. are repeatedly going above and beyond, you know, what people would think about as like a justifiable price, or if they come in with stupid high early bids and like do those kinds of things, what club in their right mind is going to even come close to giving Arsenal a reasonable price going forward? We come Only calling on trouble. Yeah, we come calling to West Ham in the summer after you, they see us go to even if, like what if we gotten like all the way to like 110 million for Casado, like like they're thinking you know this this guy's better than that. We're not giving you a discount. Right. Yes. We're going to ask for 150, 160 million like from you. Like this yeah. is how you end up like in that Manchester United zone. It might it, end it up is. how you end up in the Chelsea zone where they are not getting close to you know reasonable fees and like no. I, I mean, you want to you want to slate Edu Gaspar for negotiation. I mean, let's talk about Todd Bowley. Which player? Which player has he negotiated for? That you think, yeah, that ends up looking like a good deal. Like, yes, they got. He hasn't guy. negotiated anything. He's paid the asking price for everyone. Um, the the only he's not paying if they end end up with Enzo. Maybe by the time this is up, they do get him. They're still paying the 110 million euros or whatever it is exactly 115. They're just structuring it a certain way. And by the way, I do wonder if that's a sign of maybe some cracks here in the financing machine that they can't just pop that. Uh, well, I mean, that's that's a right. lot of money up front, right? And I think what I was kind of reading is that you know they're probably going to have to do some sort of a you know take out a, a loan kind of a thing to be able to finance getting 110 million you know straight away, which. Fair enough. Like I don't know. Most nobody has like 110 million just sitting in it's your bank around account. town money. Yeah, yeah. No, it's crazy. Um, Which I don't that also doesn't affect F- that doesn't make, affect but... FFP or anything like that. Like right, if they you know it, it, the whatever the transfer fee is, the transfer fee is, and that is you know yeah. amortized. So I've seen people. Oh, they're trying to do that to get around FFP. Like yeah, they might try to get them like a eight year deal or something like that to try to you know lower the per season cost. Right, because like that that loophole is changing in the summer to where you know it has to be a maximum of five years going forward. So yeah, but the fee is the fee, and yeah, that's and right, and like regardless come, of what kind of installment plan you work out with your with your creditor. Yeah, when Chelsea still, when Chelsea comes, you know, calling somebody in the summer, they're automatically going to start you know asking for the world. <laughs> they're not getting any deal going forward, so part of like being able to be a good negotiator is having a credible threat that you are going to walk away. And Arsenal right. have done that over and over again. Like that is a very credible, like they, if they come in and say that this is our best and final offer, and then, you know, they have this point to like, yeah, see, we've walked away at these kinds of things in the past. Like that becomes a much harder choice rather than, you yeah. know, getting into a situation where you just end up bidding against yourself over and over again. Yes. Because, um, I remember the point I was about to make is that for all their kind of soft uh, eye test type of skills and potential, which, you know, they both obviously do have, and they both are players that I would have been excited to get, but uh, Caicedo and Mudrick are both very much no to low track record Mm -hmm. players. So if you give Brighton, you know, that 100 million for Caicedo, he of the 26 premier league career starts, what is West Ham supposed to ask for? Even with 
Declan Rice wanting to leave, like Caicedo does, by the way, uh, when he has literally more than six times that number of starts in the Premier League, Declan Rice has six times more starts, and he's still in his early twenties. Like, where, where's how? Where does the math take that fee? I think I wrote it on the blog. I think that it would be very reasonable to say you paid a hundred for Caicedo. Rice is one fifty, man. Mm-hmm. Deal with it. Yeah, because I mean, I think that is yeah, that's the going to be the price that I think gets quoted at least the starting point. You know, kind of if that was the deal that. Caicedo kind of set the the market at just like how freaking Anthony is blowing up the you know price mm-hmm. range for wingers. Uh, it's a it's yeah. a sad thing to to be able to kind of deal with that. And you know I think that is part of like if you want to try to break that, you have to be willing to walk away sometimes at those deals. And and I, I mean frankly, I more than anything as much as of as much of a disappointment as it is to not end up with those very exciting players. I actually do applaud uh, the club for being disciplined and not panicking. Um, I, I do not think that signing Jorginho is going to take away the ability to make a big signing or two in the summer. I really don't. I, uh, I think it, at the end of the day, it's probably going to end up being the right decision. I agree. So let me ask you this out of 10, how do you rate this January transfer window? Yeah, I would e- I would either give it a seven or an eight. Um, I think that when it when all is said and done, the biggest, most important thing, although although long term planning is important, and if you can knock out both, that's where you get the ten. Yeah. Uh, but the the number one priority for this January twenty twenty three window has to be strengthening to compete for this title. And I, I think that they, they got there. Um, Caicedo would have helped. I think he would, he would have been an improvement on what we had. Jorginho is undoubtedly an improvement on what we had. Same thing with Mudrick. He would have come in and, um, I think he probably would have been helpful. He probably would have been an improvement. I don't know if he would have taken Martinelli's job away. I'm skeptical about that, but ending up with Trossard, um, is a very good outcome. I think, you know, that's like a little bit, or better even than Jorginho. And uh, what what I have, the film I have watched on Kivior, you know, I am positive on that deal. I think that was a good uh, value deal that could pay off. Yeah. And if, if it doesn't, it's, you know, no harm, no foul. Yeah, that's not I don't think that's a, a deal that make or breaks being able to have other things happen. Uh, I'm in pretty much full agreement. I think I would have given this, yeah, somewhere between a seven and a half and an eight. Kind of, you know, you think about where we were on like December 31st, what we wanted to kind of be able to add to, I think we've nailed that. You know, you kind of think about what were our biggest weaknesses. It's, you know, more depth that's trusted and is like a rotation, a bull option in the attacking line. Mm-hmm. And I think Trissard checks that box. Yeah, he's not a, a long-term deal, but I think he's at least a, a guy for the medium term is going to be just fine. So like, that's definitely not like Jorginho. Like Jorginho is like strictly, I think, you know, this year, next year, and like, that's kind of it. But I think Trissard, like, I, I think he helped, he could potentially help for three seasons and that is fine, especially given the ages of the players that mm-hmm. Arsenal have in the attacking line, like getting somebody at that age, perfectly fine. Um, perfectly acceptable. Yeah. yeah, like it would have been great to like get an exciting talent that, you know, we hope could, you know, blossom into something. It didn't work out. That's okay. We got a, a perfectly acceptable one. And then you kind of think through like what was the the last position, even before El Neni got injured, where 
the gap between our starting caliber and our backup was the largest, it is 100% at DM. So getting in Jorginho closes that gap. Like nobody says that Jorginho is coming for, you know, the starting position. Like if you're if somebody saying no. that, they're probably being a little hyperbolic. But as a guy that is a marginal improvement on what we have, I think that that is a, a very clear, obvious sign. Even El Nenny healthy, Jorginho is a better player. Sambi, mm-hmm. 100%, he's a better player than him being able to do it. And, you know, that allowed Sambi to potentially go out on loan and get the needed minutes for him to be able to try to get some semblance of his career back on track, being able to do that. So I think you kind of look at the, those were the two obvious glaring holes in this team and both of them got addressed yeah like we didn't you know solve it for you know the next five years but we solved it for this year we solved it mm-hmm. we pushed it so where we don't are not desperate next year right coming into the you know summer like we have a credible thing there we'll roll it with with party and Jorginho and dm if we need to like i wouldn't like that but we at least have that credible thing to point to and say we're not mm-hmm. desperate so i think that gets us into a much stronger footing yeah, no, totally agreed. And it's, it's, I think one of the, one of the, when we put out a call for questions, one of the things that um, people were hoping we would talk about a little bit is, is the Sambi Lakanga loan yeah. um, going to Crystal Palace, uh, uh, dry loan, no option or anything for the remainder of the season, obviously gets to train under Patrick Vieira. Um, it's an interesting loan because, you know, Palace are not a bad side per se. They're not having a great season, but um, you know, I think that they do need help in midfield. Is, yeah. is, uh, they have is, a huge um, Connor Gallagher shaped hole in that team. Yeah. So, you know, they've got Jake Ducore and um, what is it? Basically Schlupp and yeah. MacArthur after that. So there's not a lot. I mean, they have Eberichi Eze, but he's more of like a like an advanced eight or a number 10. And then they've got a lot of talent, um, more of like a wide. So. You know, it'll be interesting to see with the presence of Decore how Vieira opts to play him. Um, but I think, you know, the most important thing for Albert Sambi Lokanga at this point is to regain some confidence. And I th- just, I really think that getting away from Arsenal is important to that because, I mean, frankly, I think being at Arsenal is a big part of what uh, is going on with him and his confidence. Yeah. Just get, getting him away, getting him out. You know, he's close by, um, but he'll still play important games. Yeah, and I think one of the things too, like, you know, they're asking like, what is his best role? And, you know, I I think there was a little bit of the pressure that came in like that. Oh, he he was a good fit to kind of replicate Thomas Party. But I think as I watched like more and more of his actual film while he was in Belgium, like I did not get six at all from him. I saw this guy is a really good progressive passing eight like the guy that you want kind of on the edge of the final third, pulling the strings, being able to do kind of like not necessarily like Odegaard type stuff, because I don't think he had the same kind of final ball or being able to do that, but you know, kind of as a a secondary creator, a guy that uh, can occasionally make a run into the box and be able to link play that way. I always thought that was his best overall kind of role. And I think that's kind of been when he's done his best stuff at Arsenal, it is, in situations that put him in more like that. And I think at Crystal Palace, he'll have that opportunity more because he'll have Decore behind him where he doesn't have to do a lot of the defensive stuff. He'll be able to kind of link with the really exciting wide players that Crystal Palace have and be able to kind of offer them something that they are very obviously missing. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's a loan that probably accomplishes more good than anything. Reminds me a lot of kind of how Arsenal handled the Nuno Tavares Mm -hmm. situation um, where, you know, I actually, I, I never want to see players uh, kind of pegged too quickly as not good enough or, you know, like patience is a virtue, but I do think that there are also times when um, it does pay to be decisive. I feel like Arteta has been decisive with Nuno uh, after last season and saying, you know what, I just, let's get you out on a loan. In my opinion, it's, it's probably going to go down historically as um, a value creating loan for him, uh, kind of a showcase where he more than likely probably will get sold in my opinion. Yeah. Um, Maybe it's, I think it was a loan that maybe like taught him that, Maybe I'm not a fullback. Maybe I'm almost actually more of an attacking midfielder. Yeah, or or a left midfielder. Yeah, um, might be a good way to to categorize him. But you know, it might be the same thing for for Samby, where um, you know it it would not take a lot to get uh, Arsenal free and clear financially on this deal. Um, so Arsenal do not need to have a lot of pride um, about moving him on. If if he's not going to work out, he's not going to work out, and clearly. You know, competing for the for the the Premier League champ or the Premier League title, um, you know the standard is high. Yeah, and if, if he's not, there's no not necessarily shame in uh, in just not being good enough. It's just something that you know what. Let's get you to Crystal Palace. Maybe that's more your speed. Yeah, maybe that's and there's it's it's so weird. Like oh, like you're failing to still be you know one of the top one percent of the top one percent. Like you're still a, an incredibly good player being able to do that. All right, do you have any really pressing thoughts on Cedric going on loan to Fulham? I miss you, Cedric. <laughs> I know. That's, I saw you. you. You had the you know the Wolverine meme. You're gonna miss yeah, gonna miss him leading the celebrations and being able to do that. Like by all accounts, you haven't seen him like in so long. A really good teammate being able to do that. So I, I guess I'll I'll miss that. Yeah, it's you know what he really. There was talk around the Fres, Fresneda deal about needing to move Cedric, and if Cedric leaves, needing to replace him. And I mean, the guy the guy was not even making squads even before <laughs> even before he was being moved. So. um you know, I think I think it would be probably pretty charitable to call him the third choice right back. Um, and you know, there are there are now what is it eighteen league games left and maximum still, still nineteen. I think we're only at the halfway point still. Still nineteen. Okay, so mathematically halfway. So there's nineteen league games. We're out of the domestic cups, and you're looking at a maximum. I think if I'm unless I'm mistaken, I think a maximum of seven uh, Europa League games. So you know what? I just don't think that the minutes were there said, buddy, let's, let's just get you out and maybe somebody, maybe you'll catch somebody's eye. Yeah. I think that's a, a good way to, to sum it up and to lead us into our, our final, our little bit of housekeeping here before we have the, the home stretch um, like subscribe um, really, you know, gotten some, some good likes and subscribes on the, the iTunes and whatever people do to subscribe here. I really need to write this down so that I can say this with a little bit <laughs> better rather than ad limiting it. Um, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all at Canon stats. Um, if you do like to hear more about, we do, we did a, a premium episode 
recently um, talking about some of the midfield options. We'll probably do a few more of those. I'm not sure if we have a, a, a full idea of how many extra we'll do of those, but you'll get those from time to time. Um, you can get the, the full access to those for $5 a month. You'll get five, at least five additional articles per month. Our, our, our current rate is much, much higher than that. So I think it's a good value for the money that we're offering. And hey, um, you'll allow us to be able to, to do these kinds of things. So let's get into a few last topics that we got from our listeners. Um, I think we got one here that I think this is kind of an interesting question here. So curious about the impact on the long-term squad building vision, especially all the academy graduates out on loan. So Adam, has our, our business here changed that? Or what do you think the overall long-term vision is for the team? No, I mean, I think, I think that the overall long-term vision is pretty much the same. Um, I don't know that one piece of business that's been conducted uh, actually finished this summer would be impactful to any, especially any of the young guys. I mean, I guess the Samby loan might be telling about what his future at the club might be, but I think that writing was kind of already on the wall. You know, he wasn't getting used as a sub um, basically ever. So it's, it's yeah, as far is, as yeah, we're out of the cups there. Um, so I don't think that yeah. there was really a chance for him to be going in. I don't know if he would have gotten trusted to be used in a Europa league knockout. So yeah, I think the, the, the writing was on the wall for poor Sambi. Mm-hmm. The only, I mean, as once you get down to like the Academy guys, I, I don't think that um, Arteta is really attempting to leave places for them. I think, you know, he's more, more of the guy who says, uh, you know, if if you earn a place, then you will get a place. Um, and until then, uh, we're gonna do what's best for you to help you develop. I mean, he sent out all the top guy, all the top kids on loan, and I think that's probably gonna continue until they're good enough to to give him something to think about. Um, the only the only business that I saw happen in January or almost happen um, that might affect any of those younger guys in terms of squad building would be the Fresneda thing at the right back. Um, obviously a couple of Arsenal's more favorite young mm-hmm. names yeah, play like there. A, like a, a Royal Walters and, yeah. and Brooke Norton Cuffey. And, and it's um, if, if Arsenal keep after him in the summer and sign him, I do think that's maybe something of a sign for Norton Cuffey. Um, but you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for being 18 and playing in La Liga and putting on a very good performance against Real Madrid. Um, more or less shutting down Vinicius Jr. in that game. Uh, whereas Norton Cuffey is, you know, first half of, of the loan was at Rotherham, and then the second half, you know, he's going to Coventry um, and and really not standing out um, per se, despite being, I think he's older, 19. Yeah, he's 19. So, um, he is still one of the, the youngest people in the championship, but yeah, it's a, a different kind of level. Yeah, so... You know, I mean, it's just it just kind of goes to show what I say ad nauseum, which is, you know, saving spots for kids is not really advisable to me. Even Charlie Patino, I think, needs to come in and beat somebody important to get into the first squad. Until then, he's a young kid that we love and we hope that he turns out to be the best Arsenal uh, prospect since Bukayo Saga, but yeah, I think Patino um, probably has a uh, looking at my kind of thought on his career path. I think he has another loan next year. I think he's I, earned, I think he's earned himself 
you know, a chance like on the summer tour to, you know, get some minutes, stay with, you know, Arsenal through most of the summer and then, you know, go out on loan August to, you know, uh, a high championship club or potentially, you know, a low premier league club, be able to get those Mm -hmm. kinds of minutes. But I think, yeah, for him, and I know people were kind of talking about, Oh, bring him back as the guy that kind of helped with the CM depth. But like, because I, I think so highly of him, I think that would have been a mistake because it's like Gim getting minutes right now is more important than what we could have done. And I think that uh, was kind of the, the yeah. right choice to be able to make. The, the interesting one is uh, Balogun, who is doing yes. really, really, really well in Lagoon. Yeah, he is. And you you wrote about that this this past week. Um, and then he goes and scores been... against PSG, too. So, very, yeah, it was yeah really and good. Then, yeah. The stoppage time goal is so composed. So, I mean, he has, I yeah, think, that was I think really now nice mathematically, oh, oh God, yes. And he was, I mean, he was a problem for PSG before that too. He was having one of those striker games where even though he hadn't scored, he was still um, causing a lot of trouble and, uh, you know, making a difference in the flow of the game. So just great signs on him. Um, phenomenal problem to have, you know, 2025 contract, not necessarily somebody that will need to be sold. Um, but also it would not be crazy unexpected to see him get an extension. He's, he's in a tough spot because our strikers are not old. No, um, we're, we're not talking about a successor situation for him where, you know, like if Aubameyang was still here, you'd be like, you can take Aubameyang's place and then Kedia and you can, you know, go for the starting role. We'll see who, who wins. But I think, in a lot of ways, Balogun's probably going to do a very similar thing to what you just said with Patino, where um, they might hang on to him for the full summer and give him a chance to come and train with the first the first team, go on tour, uh, and see where it leads. Um, you know, he is more of a natural nine, uh, maybe like left-sided inside forward, less than a touchline winger. Uh, so you know, maybe there's some rotation stuff that can be done getting tricky. Uh, I suggested this on Twitter and a lot of people did not like it, but uh, a six man attack of, um, of flow, Eddie, Jesus, Saka, Martinelli and Trossard where Jesus can fill in on wings and, su- and such uh, so that the younger guys can get in at striker sometimes. But um, it's going to be interesting to see if he gets integrated and how worst case scenario for me, I think, uh, he could go on another loan, but I mean, he came into a position at, there at Rams where he was replacing uh, Hugo Akatike, who is basically the the brightest young French forward out there. Um, Akatike, I think, had ten or eleven goals, and here we are in January, and Flo has surpassed that. Um, Akatike went to PSG, so it would not be shocking to see this uh, performance earn him some some interest in the transfer market either, which is not a bad result. Yeah, no, I mean, I think this is a a really good situation to find yourself in with a player. So yeah, he's on 11 goals total um, minus penalty kicks. I think that is eight goals total. So overall, a a very, very good return for half a season so far in in France. So I think this is going to be, yeah, regardless of like what we're doing, like even if it's like selling him, like he has added a ton of value to him. I think that he's again, another guy who like, maybe he earns himself a, you know, the trip um, to wherever Arsenal go on tour in the summer. Maybe it's a premier league loan. Maybe it's a 
try to hang out and push yourself um, for a spot as the the third guy or an extra attacker in the season next year. So yeah, he's uh, he put himself in a really good position. Um, I think we got time for a little bit, a couple more questions here. So I got this one. It's um, how does adding Kivior and potentially Fresneda in the summer, but losing holding and Tierney net out stats wise. So do you have any final thoughts here on this one? Yeah, I mean, I think I think in terms of you know defensive stats, it's always a little shaky. But Kivior will be um, not a huge ball winner in terms of aerial duels, but he on the ground uh, converts a really high rate of his duels. Um, on tape, he has all the progressive passing um, traits that you could ask for. At Spezia, a lot of the time uh, he was not getting to show that off. It was more of like a more of flashes because of the way that they attack. But um, I think that, you know, Rob holding statistically again, duels and aerials and everything like that. Not so great, but I always had had slash has had uh, good numbers in terms of progressive ball movement. Um, I think that Kivir will keep that up. Uh, I think, you know, he can, he can come into a game and, and progress the ball on a very similar level to Gabriel um, defend, not quite as well. You know, he's not, not the same athlete. Gabriel is outstanding. Um, Tierney to Fresnada would be Fresneda would be an interesting uh, move. Um, well, statistically, I'm not well, really yeah, sure. They, they play different sides here too, right? Yeah. There, I mean, there's, there's been talk about Fresneda um, in Spain. There's been talk about him being two sided as a fullback, kind of like Tomiyasu is, mm-hmm. but um, you know, he, he again is in a system where, uh, statistically he's not getting a chance to put up a lot of ball progression and, and things like that. But if you watch the film of him, I mean, he's got it in his locker big time. So I think, I think it would, it wouldn't be a wash because you'd be losing a, an experienced player and replacing him with a young player. But I, I would not be surprised to see Fresneda on a very similar level within you know, two, two and a half years. Yeah. And I think the, the Fresneda one is interesting because I think that might be asking questions about what is Tomiyasu's role in the club going <laughs> forward. Is it less as a right back and more as a center back? Is it the kind of jack of all trades guy that you have on the bench to where maybe now you can carry a different attacker to give you more attacking options to be able to change games and, you know, trust that, you know, if there is something that causes a defensive guy to be kind of have to go out, you know, Tomiyasu can cover all across the four spots on the back line at at least an acceptable level. I think that's kind of a, an interesting one. Um, you know, it is always hard, you know, you think about holding like, the, the poor guy like he obviously doesn't fit perfectly with what arsenal want to be able to do now but he is good and enough i guess like to be at like a premier league-ish level like you, you do yeah I mean, you, he's a backup you don't want to see him play a lot of meaningful minutes and do those kinds of things but he seems like he's a good guy tyranny is another guy that you know seems to have a, a good reputation but i think you know letting a guy like tyranny leave in the summer would be a I guess a, a positive sign for Arsenal, like, you know, that we're mm-hmm. not going to hold you hostage to be able to kind of do things. So if we have replaced you, we are going to do right by you, especially, you know, tyranny seems to have taken it this year, um, being able to, you know, understand that he's the the backup and being able to do it. So I think that's a overall kind of fine kind of choice. But I think if tyranny goes, you might need to bring in somebody to kind of replace what he's able to bring on the left, unless you really trust, Tomiyasu to be that backup left back to be able to do things. 
and and to be fair to Samiyasu, once he got like uh, that probably that third game at left back when Zinchenko was injured. I mean, he really started to look a lot more natural mm-hmm. on that side, um, really impressively so. So it would not shock me if he if he were the the backup left back uh, next season if Tierney left. But I would just you know for the record, I would put Tierney and Balogun in, in a very similar uh, kind of framework for Arsenal in terms of business, which is that there is nothing. Uh, propelling them forward in in a there's nothing coercing them into having to sell these players this summer yeah i think that um you know they might they might feel some pressure from the players if if that's the players wishes and and based on what we've seen them do like extending el Neni's contract and the way that they let bellerin leave and uh the deal that they made so that burned leno could get his chance um you know, I do think that they like to take care of players that they care about, and they clearly care about Kieran Tierney. Yeah, and I think that's what so, they've just done with El Nenny too, right? You know, they're extending his yeah. contract, and that really does seem like a little bit of a, hey, we, we appreciate everything you've done kind right. of thing going on. A very low-cost, like, gesture. Um, so, you know, the, I guess the point I'm trying to make about those two players is you know, Arsenal can can sit back and and let the market develop for them. And if the market is not good, um, like if if you're getting offers of 12 mil for Tierney, you can be like, you know what, Kieran, we would we would we would love to. We tried, but um, at this point, we're going to keep you. You know, we we need you to be part of our Champions League team. Uh, and same thing with Balogun. If uh, if everybody's trying to offer 20 million for him, I mean, I think he's worth a lot more than that at this point. And um, you know, we could say. Flo, we're going to try to loan you to, you know, Norwich City and see how that goes. Yep. All right. Well, I think that's a, a good place to leave it. There's still a couple hours left in the transfer window as we're wrapping this up. So we'll see if there's anything further that happens with the rivals um, to be able to, to kind of keep an eye there. But I think that's a, a good place to end it. Adam, it's been great as always to talk with you. So thank you again. Always a pleasure. Thanks everyone for for listening in, and we will, uh, you know, now we get to start talking about the the summer window. Yeah, right. One window opens, or another window closes, another one opens, something like that. You know, I need to script my jokes, I guess, as well too. <laughs> it made me laugh, so I'll take it. Perfect. All right. So yeah, we'll we'll talk to you again next week. Uh, hopefully after we actually have some some sports to to talk about. We'll have a, a match against Everton, who I don't really think made any real big changes in the transfer window. Um, they do have Sean Dyche in. Do you expect they sold Anthony Gordon? Oh yeah, they sold Anthony Gordon. Did they bring anybody in to to help? I, I saw that they got turned down by Michi Batshuayi who has you know, decided he didn't yes. want to go to them. He wanted to stay in Turkey. And all, oh man, now I'm, now I'm blanking on it. Um, oh, they, they went after Gallagher too. Yeah, they did go after Gallagher. Gallagher. He did, no. Yeah. Nobody wants to go to Everton and I don't blame them. That seems like it would be a, a hard thing to be able to Mess. try to get through right now. Yeah. Let me, I'm going to pull them up missing. here to see if they've actually made any moves. I don't, I don't think, think that they, they did, have. actually. So, Nobody's significant, at least. Yeah, and I haven't seen any here-we-goes from Fabrizio about anything that they've been doing right now. So um, it looks like we're going to be up against a, just a Sean Dyche's uh, Everton. You got any final thoughts there? No, I mean, I you know I would be, I would be more afraid of the new manager bounce um, 
with last year's Arsenal. I think that this this season's edition is very uh, very poised and very comfortable with this pressure. So um, still optimistic that even even though we didn't get to play Lampard's Everton, we'll still get um, you know we'll get. I'm sure it will be. We'll we'll have some moments like he usually does, but. You know, I, I feel still feel confident about this one. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not overly worried about Everton at all, and yeah, I think this will be a a good one. As I'm scrolling down, and yeah, they they have not done really anything of note here in the the transfer market, at least that's been reported as done yet. So we'll be up against a a very bad Everton team this weekend. So hopefully, we should have a a good one to be able to talk about next week, and then we can start looking forward to the summer transfer window. So thank you guys for listening as always, and we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. All right. And now I go back to work. <laughs> I only have an hour or two left, so I'm feeling good. Oh, yeah. No, I won't close out if it's...